Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Just to let you know where we left off last week, we only made it through the first five or six verses, and um, here's what we said at the beginning of last week. This is the ending at the beginning, so no one's left guessing where we're going. The book of Ruth is a perfect example of God's redeeming love and points to our true and perfect Redeemer, Jesus. All right, so that's where we're going. There's no guesswork involved. We know exactly where we're going to be on the 23rd, okay? But we have a lot of work to do to get there. And so last week, we also said that chapter 1, a big, big idea of chapter 1, is being redeemed in our suffering. Not being redeemed from our suffering, right? Naomi and Ruth, as we're going to see in the passage, they leave, but they don't actually know what they're going to be facing. Um, But their hope and their prayer is that they will be redeemed in their suffering. And so as we go forward tonight, we're going to be looking at four implications, four other big ideas about chapter one, things that should be influencing the way that we're thinking about our lives this week, thinking about God's word in general, then the book of Ruth specifically. All right. So let's get started. Um. From the very beginning, and I'll just review what we went over last week real quick. Um, Last week, we looked at what uh, tricky situation Naomi found herself in. She was an immigrant woman in a country that was an an enemy to her people. Uh, Not only that, but while she's there, her husband dies. And she has two sons to carry on their name, thankfully. Two sons to... Um, take care of the land and to farm and to feed. And those two sons marry. Uh, And and they they marry Moabite women. Now, if they were in uh, Bethlehem and their two sons, her two sons had decided to marry uh, Moabite women, this would have been uh, highly offensive to everyone. Okay? Uh, However, uh, Scripture at this time and not really anywhere, does it say that you couldn't marry someone who was a Moabite? There were some stipulations put on the marriage, but here was the big idea. It was important that those women that the Naomi's sons married became Jews, okay? They became people that believed in Yahweh, in God, okay? And so that's really where... Um, uh, the, the kind of view that we're going to be taking on these Moabite wives. Now, even though we could be suspicious of what's happening there. Um, and in fact, you know, after Naomi's husband dies, and her sons take uh, foreign wives, if you will, uh, this has really got to be a promise for her, right? I mean, the fact that she has sons that those sons are married and now have the potential to carry on the family name, this is a blessing, or at least we would think that it would be a blessing from her perspective. 
But then we come, we're there in, chap, in verse 4, chapter 1, and moving on to verse 5. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10, year, ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Now she's in dire straits. She's a foreign woman in a foreign land with two foreign daughter-in-laws who, let's say they were back in in Bethlehem and these were just normal daughter-in-laws, if you will. Um, These daughter-in-laws would basically be servants to the mother-in-law. But here, being in a foreign land, their mother-in-law being foreign, they have the opportunity to go off, to go back with their families, to find new husbands, to make new families. And in that, the opportunity to leave Naomi on her own. And then moving from verse 6, Then she rose with her daughter-in-laws to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. I love this here, right? Because... I can't say that all farmers believe in Jesus, but farmers are a faith-based people, okay? Um, The majority of farmers, and then let's specifically say farmers before fertilizer and all sorts of things, had to rely on whatever God it was that they chose. Um, They knew that the weather was outside of their control, right? Uh, But we know Naomi here well enough to know that They were probably farmers while they were in Bethlehem, in Judah. And they're farmers again while they're in Moab. And she hears just a little bit of good news. That the Lord has visited his people. He's visited his people. And so now they have the opportunity to go back. But we're going to be faced with something here. Okay, Everyone in our story, three women up to this point, are going to be faced with a very important and very difficult decision to make. In fact, I love the way Derek at small group this past week said it, that no one necessarily is making great decisions, okay, (laughs) but they're making the best decisions they can in horrible circumstances, all right? And so that's what we're going to be faced with. And so our first big idea or our first implication of chapter one of Ruth that we want to look at tonight is the importance of turning away from what we once were. The importance of turning away from what we once were. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Okay, here we go. Um, it's hard to say exactly what's going on right now. But in verse 6, we just saw all three women leaving together. And now in verse 8, we see Ruth, or we see Naomi looking at Orpah and looking at Ruth and saying, okay, you've gone this far with me. You've, you've left the city walls. Now it's time for you to turn around and go back to safety. Um, And we can't guess as to what all of Naomi's motives were here, but simply to say, maybe it would have been difficult for her to leave them both in the city. Or maybe she didn't know what was best. 
right? Um, this is going to be a long journey uh, around a body of water, across a lot of land, in enemy, enemy territory, in desolate territory. Um, it's going to be a hard journey that Naomi is taking. And so we want to think the best of Naomi here, maybe, and say maybe she didn't want her daughter-in-laws to have to experience that with her. Um, one of the things that Naomi says to both Orpah and Ruth here is, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt with the dead and with me. And then she continues in verse 9. The Lord grant that you, might fi- that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted their voices and wept. This idea of rest is this kind of this idea of shalom. We know this word, it's peace. Um, it's a different word, though, um, and it, it means to have settled security, okay? To feel secure and to know that that security is going to be there for a long period of time. Naomi really does want the best for her daughter-in-laws. Um, and yet, her daughter-in-laws are, are met with a decision now, okay? And that decision is to go with their mother-in-law, whom they've claimed faithfulness to, or to turn around and go back to what it is that they were used to, what was normal to them. Um, And we're going to see not only that decision being made, but we're also going to see, uh, it's it's a Hebrew word, and it's this idea, the word is hesed, And it means compassionate loyalty or very stubborn love. So these two young women are going to have to make a decision. Are they going to very stubbornly show love to their mother-in-law? Or are they going to listen to their elder? Are they going to listen to their mother-in-law and go back to where they know they are safe, where they are pretty sure they can be taken care of? And this idea of this compassionate love or this stubborn love is the same kind of love that we see uh, when God is showing love to his people. It's It's a covenant kind of love, a covenant, a promise. Throughout all the Old Testament and the New Testament with the New Covenant, we see God making promises to his people. And we looked at this uh, in the Daily Doctrine series in God's pursuit of his people. But we looked at how God makes promises to his people. And sometimes there are rules that go along with those promises. If you do this, I will do this. But we also see in Scripture that at the end of the day, God always takes all of that covenant responsibility back on himself. Right? He says, no, Israel, I have married myself to you. I'm going to continue to love you. Right? Okay. Um. And yet, Naomi here, when she's saying in verse 8, go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you. Um, Again, I I think that she is wanting the best for them. In fact, not only is she wanting the best for them, but she's, she's saying, may the Lord, Yahweh, the one true God, deal kindly with you. She has faith in this verse. She has faith in this statement. She's saying, Lord, I don't think I can take care of these young women. I'm putting them in your hands. Now, 
Uh, here's the next big thing that we're going to be see, seeing happening, the next big idea. And I think that we see it happening first from Naomi to her daughters-in-law. And that is placing others before yourself. Now, I'm not just saying this is a nice thing to do. This is actually the example that we see in the book of Ruth through these characters. And now, before I go any farther with that, I just got to say this, that when we're reading Ruth, we need to remember that this is not just a history book. Okay? Although this is a real event that happened in history, okay? This is, these are real people that really lived, and yet the author has done something very beautiful with this story. Um, the author has made this story into a real piece of art, into a piece of literature. We need to read it as such. We need to realize that each word is placed there, not just because it's God's word, but also more specifically with this book, uh, because those are the words that the author wanted there. And we know that ultimately the Holy Spirit is the author of all of Scripture. Um, so verse 9, the Lord grant that you may find rest each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And so we have this idea that Naomi is wanting the best for them. She's putting her daughter-in-laws before herself. She says, the land, the houses, those are yours. Um, use them as leverage to find another husband, right? Uh, God will take care of you. And in verse 10, And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? And now her argument is going to get very simple and yet sound very complex here. But Naomi, uh, turn back, my daughters. Go your own way, for I am too old to have a husband. Uh, now, anyone can probably get married at any age, right? I think what she's saying is that she's too old to have children. Okay? And now, there are examples in, in the history of God's people where that would not have been an issue. And yet, the likelihood of it happening for Naomi, um, she thinks, is not good. Um, if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter. It is extremely bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Again, we have that selfless language here with Naomi. Now, is Naomi a perfect person? No. In fact, when we get into chapter 3, we're going to see Naomi making some very suspicious decisions, okay? <laughs> some, some decisions in encouraging her daughter-in-law to do some things that, well, might not have been what we would encourage our daughter-in-laws to do. And yet, she says here, it is exceedingly bitter to me, for whose sake? For your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Okay. Now, a question that we have to ask ourselves here um, is what's up with Naomi? She sounds faithful just two, three, and four verses before this. Is she, does she have faith? Well, it's hard to judge her motives, not saying that we should judge her motives, but simply say this, she's experienced a lot, right? She has suffered 
much. And for her to say that the Lord has dealt bitterly with her, um, we don't know that this is a hard issue that's been going on for a long period of time. In fact, we see this kind of language, and we talked about this kind of language when we talked about lament. Um, This kind of language that cries out to God and says, God, why are you doing this to me? And David did this all the time. Job does this. But at the end of each psalm, and at the end of the book of Job, where does the psalmist, where does Job end up? In a place of faith, right? Okay, so just because Naomi's wavering for a moment here does not mean that we should think the worst of her. Uh, the fact is that many of us, including myself, would probably waver here as well, right? Okay. But this shows us the importance of suffering in faith. Right now, Naomi's case seems very desperate. Very desperate. Um, Is it going to stay like that? And that's the other question that we must ask ourselves. Then they lifted their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So Orpah's saying goodbye. She's kissing her goodbye. But Ruth clings to her. Now, one uh, commentator that I was reading a couple weeks ago about this said it this way, that we have to sympathize with Orpah, but we have to follow Ruth's example. Okay? We have to sympathize with Orpah, uh, but we have to follow Ruth's example. So think about Orpah here. Um, going to a land that she knows nothing about. Um, We have hints coming up in a couple of verses that Ruth believed in the one true God, Yahweh, okay? Uh, And so can we assume that Orpah did as well? We don't know. Um, It doesn't sound like maybe uh, Naomi's sons were following the Lord or as faithful. They had foreign names uh, as opposed to Elimelech, her her deceased husband, and herself. Um, But we can kind of guess that since Orpah has traveled this far with Naomi, Naomi, that she is in the same boat as Ruth, that she has already placed her faith in Yahweh and his promises to his people. And yet, she decides to go back. Why would she decide to go back? Well, the whole pregnancy argument is pretty convincing, right? Naomi's not going to be able to just pop out a couple babies, grow them up instantly, and then Orpah just will have to hope that she's still of childbearing age so that she can be taken care of? That's a lot to hope on. So she goes back. Now, we've all been in this situation, though, right? Where, uh, let's say it like this, we have friends. And those friends don't know Jesus, okay? <laughs> now, I love those people. I have many of those friends. And yet, if I spend too much time with those friends, uh, what happens to me? Well, it depends what else is going on in my life. But if I get distracted and I'm focused all on that relationship, I'm forgetting about this relationship, right? Uh, and I start becoming more like my other friends. 
Now, I always use Jacques as an example, the tattoo artist in town, but I love Jacques, right? I spend like three days a week hanging out, yelling at Jacques from across the office space, and yet, if I were to spend all of my time with Jacques, one of two things would have to happen. He would either be becoming more like Jesus, or I would be becoming more like Jacques, right? So we fear for Orpah in this situation. She's made a decision that short-term is going to be very good, and long-term, she might be better off. But long-term, we don't know where she is going to be at with Yahweh. To be a Moabite living in Moabite land, the likelihood that you are going to turn back to the Moabite God is pretty good. Okay? And I think that we can all sympathize with that. And then here in verse 15, um, we see Ruth following Naomi's example and putting herself before others. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Okay. Ruth has done a couple of things here. Orpah choose, chose the path to, it's a strong word, but to leave her mother-in-law. I don't want to say desert, even though that's kind of what she's doing, right? Um, even though, in the culture at this time, it would have made sense for Orpah to be Naomi's servant and to go along with her and to make sure that she, she lived and was well and so on and so forth. But Ruth has chosen the other way. She has chosen to stay with Naomi. She has chosen to remain a servant to Naomi. Right? And we see that in her language. She says, uh, let's go and we're going to go this way together. Let's go live in this place together. Let's go do this together. She says, no, where you're going, I'm going. Right? She's following after her. She's going to serve her. She's going to do whatever Naomi has to do. But I love it there at the end of verse 16. Your people shall be my people, which is big because this is God's covenant people. right? This is God's first chosen people, Israel. And she says, I'm going to be a part of them. Okay? The enemy is going to be a part of God's chosen people. Uh, how are God's chosen people going to feel about that? Ruth doesn't know. She has no assurances that this is a good decision. And yet she's claiming God's people as her own. She's becoming Jewish. And we know this as well when she says, and your God, my God. Now, the word that's used for God here, it's two variations of the name Elohim. It's a very personal name um, that God shared with Moses. God shared with many others in personal situations. See, Ruth is using a, not only capital Lord, right, Yahweh, but she's using God's personal name that he reveals to his covenant people. She's showing how much that faith in the Lord is hers as well. And she continues, where you die, 
I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more, also if anything but death parts me from you. And then she calls Lord by his, <laughs> his real, his big name, right? Yahweh. Uh, may God kill me if I leave you. May God curse me if I leave you. May God bury me if I have left you before you're buried, is what she's saying. And this relates back again to our number two uh, implication or the number two application for going into this week, the importance of putting others before ourselves without the expectation of having a better life. This is Ruth's example to us. This is Ruth's example to us. But even more so than that, um, it's not just Ruth's example to us. Our fourth and, and final application going into this week is the importance of becoming an alien and a stranger. Ruth has chosen not just to leave the comfort of her mother's house behind, not just to become the servant of her mother and hope for another man to come her way. Um, she has not just decided to return home and hope to provide a living for herself, um, but she has decided to go into hostile territory with someone that she doesn't even know if that person has good standing in the community that she's from, right? Why else would she be in Moab? Ruth going along as a servant to Naomi also brings up something that we see Jesus do at least three times in the Gospels. I know three times in the book of Matthew where Jesus encourages us that if we want to have the mark of a true disciple, that we need to leave everything behind, right? Um, he says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, that if you love your mother and your father more than you love me, you're doing it wrong. If you love your kids more than you love me, you're doing it wrong. And that's exactly what Ruth is emulating for us. She's leaving behind her father and her mother her friends. And she's stepping out and she's becoming an alien and a stranger. Not only that, but she is showing uh, this big word, this has said, this stubborn love, okay? This stubborn love that God himself shows toward his people. A kind of love that says, no matter what you do, I'm going with you, Right? No matter what you do, I am with you. That's what God would say. And this is just what Ruth has echoed. Moving on to um, verse 18. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, and the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has tested, testified against me 
and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. One other big um, idea that I think that we see here that it's not up on the screen is the importance of friendship. Maybe even a more apt way of describing it is discipleship through friendship. This is exactly what we see with Naomi and Ruth. Now, Naomi gave the opportunity for both of her daughter-in-laws to go away, right? Um, And during this time, like I said before, if a son died and you had a daughter-in-law, she basically became like a slave to you. Uh, Do you think Ruth would want to go with a slave driver? (laughs) No, I don't think so. Um, And I think that you see in Naomi and Orpah's relationship as well, though, that there is a tight-knitness there. There's a bond there. There's a friendship there. And then specifically, we see in Ruth's life that that has paid dividends for eternity in Ruth's faithfulness to who God is, wanting to become a part of God's people and to call herself um, by their name. Another really interesting thing that we we see happening here, um, well, other places in Scripture, for instance, in Joshua 2, we have Rahab, right? (laughs) And Rahab becomes a very important player in the biblical story, strangely enough, even though she might not be a woman of the highest reputation, okay? Um, She enters into God's story um, and and becomes a part of, (laughs) well, becomes a part of the bloodline, right? Uh, I think, again, here, beginning in Ruth chapter 1, but throughout the book of Ruth, um, we see Ruth entering into God's story and confirming, as we're going to see throughout all of the Old Testament, as we saw in the promise that was made to Abraham in Genesis 15, that God's promises are not just to one group of people, um, but they are to all that enter into that group of people. And Ruth confirms that in her entering into God's story. And as we continue, um, she confirms that the plans for David's house are not just limited to Jews, but they are expanded to all peoples which is lucky for all of us non-Jews sitting in this room right now, right? (laughs) Okay. Going back to the very beginning, our very first um, implication for this week, though, I think here's one thing that we could focus on as we close out the the first chapter of the book of Ruth. I think pretty definitively, we see Ruth at the end of chapter 1 turning away from everything that was once hers. She's turning to something. 
It's not a bright hope that they're going to go to <laughs> go to Bethlehem and make bank, right? They're not going to be making a bunch of cash being two single women going into what is now a foreign land, kind of, for both of them. And she's not just turning to her mother-in-law, right? She's turning to her mother-in-law's God. She's leaving everything that she once was behind her. And she is becoming that alien and that stranger. Um, There's someone else that became an alien and a stranger, and that's Jesus. He set aside everything that was uh, his rightfully, um, and he instead came in the form of us, weak and frail and fragile, and he sacrificed himself on our behalf, right? He became an alien and stranger in our land, as it were. And so this example that we have in Ruth is not just the example of Ruth, but it's the example of our Savior as well. And Jesus encourages us to do the same, right? He encourages us to go to all nations, right? Um, Making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, We are to become aliens and strangers. In fact, Jesus also implies that once we are saved, we are automatically alien to and estranged from everything that we once were. And yet, we still have a decision to make. We still have to make that decision to turn away from everything that we once were. And we still have to make that decision to be moving towards what it is that God wants us to be doing and who it is that God wants us to be. Uh, So in the newspaper right now, uh, we have kind of a joke ad. It says that it's not about you, okay? (laughs) And I keep on meaning to change it, but then I see it each every two weeks, and I think, you know what? I like it in there. Um, And it's not about us. And yet, we see from the book of Ruth that it is for us, right? God's story is for us to enter into. And so, uh, this week, uh, I'm going to be praying for each and every one of us that we will be stepping out of our comfort zones, that we will be making ourselves aliens and strangers, as it were, uh, ready to share the good news uh, and why we think it's good news with those around us. Um, Also, going into next week... uh, be reading through the book of Ruth. Be reading through chapter 2 specifically. Um, but I was teaching this week in Swahili, and um, we were going through the book of Romans. And so I had two hours, and I was teaching through the book of Romans, and I just had to reiterate, I had to say over and over and over again that we can't get through the book of Romans in two hours. <laughs> Even though we were getting through the book of Romans in two hours. Uh, I've probably at this point read Ruth too many times because as you can tell, I'm getting my words all jumbled up. But um, I've I've probably read it and or listened to it at least 40 times now in preparation of this sermon. It's because it's a short book. 
take, it adva- take advantage of that short book. Because one day we're going to go through the book of Romans, and even though Martin Luther encouraged all of us to read the book of Romans every day, that's probably not going to be happening, okay? So take advantage of this short book. Study through chapter 2 of Ruth this week. Read chapter 1 over and over again. Read chapter 2 over and over again this week, okay? Um, Let me pray for us, and then we'll stand and sing one more time. Father God, we love you. We thank you, Lord, again for this time that we have together. Um, God, there's so much more even to such a simple story like the book of Ruth. There's so much more to chapter 1 that I know that I skipped over tonight, Lord. Um, But Lord, know that we cherish your word. And um, I pray for each of us that as we think through these four implications uh, for our lives, these four big ideas that should be affecting us this week, uh, Lord, I pray for everyone that your Holy Spirit will be working in our hearts, will be softening our hearts, will be making us brave, be able to share the good news with those around us. And specifically then, to be sharing the good news that we find in the book of Ruth. Um, God, we love you. We thank you for this time together, and we pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.